Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today I'm speaking with a very famous, very well-known children's author, Grace Lynn, who is a New York Times bestselling author illustrator who has won the Newbery Honor for Where the Mountain Meets the Moon and the Theodore Geisel Honor for Ling and Ting. Her novel, Where the Sea Turned to Silver, was a National Book Award finalist, and her picture book, A Big Mooncake for Little Star, was awarded the Caldecott Honor. Grace is also an occasional commentator for New England Public Radio. In 2022, Grace was awarded the Children's Literature Legacy. Her new book is out this week. The book is Chinese Menu, The History, Myth, and Legends Behind Your Favorite American Chinese Foods. I'm going to take you now to my conversation with esteemed children's author, Grace Lin. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm speaking with Grace Lin. Grace is a New York Times bestselling author, illustrator, who won the Newbery Honor for Where the Mountains Meet the Moon and the Theodore Giesel Honor for Ling and Ting. Her novel, Where the Sea Turned to Silver, was a National Book Award finalist, and her picture book, A Big Mooncake for a Little Star, was awarded the Caldecott Honor. Grace is also an occasional commentator in New England Public Radio. In 2022, Grace was awarded the Children's Literature Legacy. Her new book, out this week, Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite American Chinese Foods, is out. Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Grace... Uh, Can we talk a little bit about growing up in upstate New York? How did this shape who you are? Sure. Um, So, you know, I'm always very careful when I talk to people and I say I grew up in upstate New York, because if I just say New York, most people say think I grew up in New York City. And of course, New York City, uh, everybody knows, has all the skyscrapers and the taxi cabs, and they have lots of different kinds of people. Where I grew up in upstate New York, uh, there were no skyscrapers, no taxi cabs, and not a lot of different kinds of people. And when I say not a lot of different kinds of people, I mean, there was like, there were no black people when I was growing up, there was no uh, Hispanic or Latinx people there when I was growing up. Uh, When I was a child, we were pretty much the only Asian family in the area. Uh, I was oh, the wow. only I was the only Asian girl um, in my elementary school, except for my sisters, and so that gave me kind of a very strange sense of identity. Um, I think most of my childhood, probably all the way until I was in college, I really rejected my Asian heritage, and uh, doing my books, such as this book, Chinese Menu, um, they've been my way of kind of reconnecting and reclaiming that part of my identity. Did you always feel, well, even from a young age, did you always feel that you're going to be an artist and an author? Was this um, something that you kind of felt was kind of destined to be? Um, you know, in a way, yes. I think, I don't know if I thought, thought of it so much as destiny, but I knew that I loved books, right? Uh, so uh, whenever there was a school project, I always made a book. So I remember in fifth grade, we were studying the Vikings and my good friend, Charlotte, she made like a Viking helmet. And my other friend, Jill made like a Viking boat, but I made a book about the Vikings because I thought making nice. books was just so much fun. So I think uh, even at an early age, I, I knew that I loved books and I wanted to make books. Um, uh, I, you know, once I realized that making books could be a job. I realized that's what I wanted to do for a living. So as a book lover, you went on to win the Newbery Honor and the Caldecott Medal. 
what was that like for you? And did you ever in your wildest dreams think that this could happen? Well, <laughs> I didn't really um, think it could happen, but I have to admit, I did dream about it. It's kind of like, you know, uh, every theater kid in high school, they always like, they dream about, you know, going on Broadway and, and or winning a, an, an Oscar, you know, like, of course I dreamed about it, but um, I don't know if I ever really thought it would happen. I just always hoped it would happen. So uh, having those things happen really was, uh, you know, a dream come true for me. Now, I want to ask also, um, you know, you, you've you've won several awards and you've also won a children's uh, literature legacy in 2022. Now, I've, I know you're writing um, from working in bookstores as well as working in libraries. When I told my uh, children's librarian that I was going to be talking to you, she was very envious. Aww. So, I mean, so you're kind of a big deal. How has this affected your, like, life and how does it feel to win all these accolades and get a legacy? Well... Um, the legacy was a huge is is a huge huge honor, and I think in a weird way I always feel like I I need to do really good books to make sure that I'm worthy of this honor. <laughs> but I think um, the awards in general uh, they they're a very interesting thing because I think what they've shown me is kind of how important labels are and how unimportant labels are. Yeah. Um, you know, when my when my book, um, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, my, that won the Newbery Honor, when it first came out, um, you know, it did okay. <laughs> not, not like not amazing, but it did okay. People liked it. Uh, but, uh, in fact, but, um, but most of the time it wasn't being read because it featured, um, it featured, it was kind of like an Asian Wizard of Oz, you know, um, and I think a lot of people at that time, you remember this is 2009, a lot of things have changed since then. But back then, a lot of people thought that it was just an Asian book and like that was that was the label. And so, or a multicultural book or a book that wasn't really for everyone. And so, um, like I said, it wasn't really being picked up that much, but then it won the Newbery Honor. And all of a sudden that multicultural or that Asian label or the, you know, the diverse book label disappeared and it became a Newbery Honor book. And then people are like, oh, it's a Newbery Honor book. And then people started reading it. And not only did people start reading it, not only did kids pick it up or read it, they really loved it. Like I got so many letters. I still get letters and emails about people who who loved loved this book. And the thing is that before the Newbery Honor, it was still the same book, you know? <laughs> so it's I appreciate the Newbery Honor. I um, cherish it, but I think it also goes to show uh, how these labels that we give our books, how how important they are, because that's what gets people to read them. But they are not a marker of what makes them a good book. Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm glad you talked about that too. I I, I got to ask as well because you mentioned getting letters. I know you know. We all remember the books that we've read growing up. I think that the books that we've read as children stick with us forever. When you get letters from people, what kind of uh, letters do you get? And are there any that kind of uh, stick in your mind? Oh, there's many. Um, and they've been really, really wonderful. In fact, uh, the one that really sticks in my mind, I, uh, I'll share it with you. Um, I just want to make sure, uh, I might phrase it in a way because I don't want to, um, I don't want to betray a confidence. Uh, right. But, but um 
uh, I was at a book signing and um, a person uh, came, it was a fairly long line and a person uh, kind of kind of gave me a note, like kind of like a, pushed it on the table and then uh, it handed it to me and then ran away. And so mm -hmm. I didn't get a chance to read this note until much later. And the note basically said that um, the person had gone through some a, a big trauma in their life. And um, the only thing that made them feel better was reading my book. Like they would have panic attacks. They wouldn't be able to go to school. But um, but reading my book, reading Where the Mountain Meets the Moon would calm them down. They would carry Where the Mountain Meets the Moon with them all the time. And um, in fact, this per and, they, and this person was now in college and they thanked me so much because they said that they would not be in college now if it was not for that book. And so it was wow. a really, it was a really um, moving, moving letter. Um, and uh, I've, it's letters like that, um, and I that really make me realize how what a gift it is that I can write for that I do write and, and make books for younger people um, who, as you said, we all remember the books of our childhood. In some ways, those are the most important books in our lives. Absolutely. I want to talk about your new book that's out this week, uh, Chinese Menu. How are you inspired to write this book? Oh, well, this book actually has been quite a long time in the making. I think back in 2004, I uh, made a picture book called Fortune Cookie Fortunes. It's for like pre-K and kindergarten. But um, even while making that book, I did research on fortune cookies. And um, upon doing research, I found out that the fortune cookie is a completely Asian American invention that uh, people in China have no idea what a fortune cookie is. Um, if they if they have heard of it, they call it the American cookie, right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, when I told this to my friends or colleagues, I'd be like, oh, did you know that the fortune cookie is completely, uh, is not Chinese at all? Uh, you know, it's a completely Asian American invention. And I would tell them the story. And uh, inevitably, every single one of them would turn to me and be like, oh, so fortune cookies are not even really Chinese. And they would always say this in kind of a tone of like disdain or disgust. And as this happened over and over again, it really bothered me because as I mentioned earlier, I, I struggled with my own identity as an Asian American. And I could kind of hear a lot of people say the same thing about me, like, oh, she's not really Chinese. And that oh, kind of upset me because I feel like there's something really beautiful about being Asian American and that Asian American food should also be given uh, this kind of love and respect. And so that's why I decided to do this book. I, I wanted to give um, food that has Asian roots, that has Chinese roots, but are actually American, um, the respect that I think it deserves, because I feel like Asian Americans deserve that kind of respect too. I like that. Very well said. I want to ask um, if you could talk, because this is something that really tickled me about the book, and I think everybody who reads it's going to notice it right off and uh, really like this too. Can we talk a little bit about the organization of the chapters and the headings and uh, how you decided to go that way? 
Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of that. So I'm so glad that you, <laughs> you brought it up. Uh, so this book is called Chinese Menu, and it's done that way specifically because it's supposed to feature the food that you would get in a Chinese restaurant. So there is one recipe at the very end, my mother's scallion pancakes, but the rest is really just stories about the foods that you would get at a Chinese restaurant. So the book is divided up just like a Chinese menu. So it starts with uh, like when you first come in, you would get your chopsticks and your tea, and then it would be like appetizers, side orders, uh, chef specials, desserts. So uh, I've divided it just like that um, for people to read the stories of those sections. So um, I, I think it's a really fun way to do it. <laughs> what was the research like for this uh, book for you? Was it kind of fun to do? Uh, did you have to kind of go to different libraries and stuff to find out some of the information? Well, uh, like I said, I've had this idea since 2004, since um, doing the fortune cookie book. So I think all this time I've been slowly kind of collecting little stories that I heard here and there, like scribbling it down, uh, remembering lots of stories that my father told me um, and my other relatives. Uh, but when it came down to writing the book, I realized that uh, they classify uh, this kind of book as nonfiction, even though, you know, it's legends and myths. And I realized, oh, if they're going to classify this as nonfiction, I better make sure that some of the, these stories actually have real, like, historic kind of roots. They're not just like stories my father made up at the dinner table, right? <laughs> so, because he has a very big imagination. <laughs> and so um, I actually hired a um, research assistant at Smith College. She was a Chinese studies major. And I asked her, uh, I gave her the list of the stories that I had and I asked her, can you find me secondary sources for these foods and these, these stories? And she, she, um, and she did, um, she was wonderful. Uh, I cannot read Chinese, uh, but she could. And so that really helped quite a bit. And in fact, she found stories that I didn't know um, and better stories, uh, which I ended up using in the book too. Um, so, but a lot of the stories that are in the book are kind of amalgamations of two or three different versions of the same story. Um, those like the story that my father told me, the story that she found, a story, English translation that I found. And I tried, you know, and I tried really hard to keep true to the spirit of the story, but um, I would take a little bit from each story uh, to kind of hedge my bets, I suppose. <laughs> I love, um many of the chapters in the book and i really enjoyed the way you tackled some of the topics with humor and um, you made it very engaging it wasn't just a like did you know kind of thing you really put a lot of uh, heart into it um can you talk about a few of the things in the book that people will see um can we briefly just talk about the chopsticks part of it and uh, what you wanted to convey there sure um you know the first thing uh, that you do that is different from a chinese restaurant from a typical American restaurant is the chopsticks, right? That's the first thing that's very different. So I felt like that was an important thing to put in the book. Um, and uh, so uh, I think I, I start off, there's three or four different stories about chopsticks. The or, there's two stories about the origins of chopsticks. And then there's one story where it talks about how chopsticks are supposed to prevent poisoning. Uh, but I think in the very beginning, I, I uh, give start with a confession about how I do not hold chopsticks correctly. Uh, my parents are both immigrants from Taiwan and we always use chopsticks every day at the dinner table. Uh, but 
they never actually sat down and showed me how to use chopsticks. They just assumed I would just like kind of pick it up through osmosis or something like that. And so while I can eat with chopsticks, um, I do not hold them correctly as my sisters like to point out repeatedly. <laughs> so uh, I start with kind of a confession there. And then I talk about the uh, two different origin stories. One, which is uh, an origin story that talks about Yu the Great who stopped the great floods of China. And uh, it was because he was working so hard on the dredging system to stop the river from flooding that he invented the chopsticks because he was in such a rush he grabbed two sticks to eat with while he was while he was um working and then the other story the conflicting story which is completely not heroic and it's about um uh the emperor's concubine who uh the the very selfish emperor who would often just kill his chefs if he didn't like their food or if the food was too hot. And so his concubine took two jade hair sticks out of her hair to and picked up the food and blow, blew on them gently to make the food the right temperature so the emperor wouldn't kill his chefs. <laughs> so there are these two uh, very different stories, but, uh, but both uh, interesting ideas of how chopsticks could have been invented. I love how you put a lot of yourself in this book and like your family and your growing up as well. What did your family think of this book? You know, they have not seen the book yet. Uh, I've told oh, wow. them about it, but you know, I have not, I've only had the advanced reading copy of myself. I'm waiting mm -hmm. for the final copies. I, I kind of want them to see the finished one before I show them the actual, before they see the book. Um, but uh, I think they're excited. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I, I, I'm, that's, it must be very exciting to kind of, I, are you going to be there with them when they see it or are they going to just get copies? Probably in the mail? not. No, they, my parents now live in Florida and my sisters are ones in California, ones in San Francisco. So they are ah. all spread out now. <laughs> ah, you're local to me. Very nice. Oh, um, nice. What are some of your earliest food memories from growing up in upstate New York? Um, you know, it's interesting because um, I have lo lots of lovely food memories, um, but uh, I was talking earlier about how when I was younger, I really kind of did not want to be Asian and I kind of um, rejected my heritage. And when I got to college, um, I realized uh, what what I was missing. I realized, gosh, I, I, I regret not knowing my heritage. And so I, tr I decided to try to find my own roots. And when I looked for my own roots, I realized the, the kind of tenuous roots that I had to my, own, to my culture was uh, the stories uh, that I read, that my parents told me and that I read when I was younger, the Chinese stories and the food. The food was really the thing that tied me to my past. Um, and so, uh, I always look back at all of the dinners with this very warm nostalgia. I, I kind of look back at certain, like my tween years when I was really rejecting being Asian. I remember my mom would cook Chinese food and there's like all these dishes on the table and I'd be like, Ugh, and I'd like go and microwave myself a, 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 a potato <laughs> and eat, eat like a baked potato instead. And, um, and I look back at that and I cringe <laughs> because that's such a, such a terrible, terrible thing when I think about it. Uh, it's kind of like you have a veritable feast in front of you. 
and uh, yet you reject it, right? And that's that's what I don't want anyone to do. And that's why I created this book. Um, so I, I have many memorable um many memorable memories that's a funny way of saying it many lovely memories of eating around the table with my parents um i remember around um especially around lunar new year when there was a long table full of food and my father um a little tipsy would uh tell us stories uh about the food um and and his eyes really twinkling and, and joking and laughing at the same time um he he's the one who first told us about told me the story about the buddha buddha jumps over the wall um and i remember him laughing and saying the food was so good the buddhist monks had to jump over the wall to smell what's to see what smelled so good and so that's why this dish is called buddha jumps over the wall and things like that i love that now what do you hope that readers will take away from this book well, you know, many, many things. I mean, first of all, I just hope that they enjoy it. And I, and by enjoying it, I hope uh, every time they eat Chinese food, they remember a story from this book and it makes them l enjoy eating their food even, even more. Um, but, you know, there's lots of other things that I hope they take away too. Um, if they are American, um, I hope that they see that this Chinese food, even though, you know, we often label it Chinese food, is just as American as, say, hot dogs, you know, or pizza. I mean, uh, because it is, it has been adapted for American tastes. And so this food is American Chinese food. And so really, it's a part, if you're American, it's a part of your culture, no matter what your ethnic heritage is. Um, so I hope that they can realize that and claim it. You know, I, I want that I want them to claim it as well. Um, and maybe by claiming it, it gives them just a little bit more empathy and a little bit more realization uh, of the common humanity between them and Asian Americans, which is something um, that has been lacking since the COVID-19 virus, I think. Yeah. Very much so. I want to ask you who some of your favorite children's writers are that kind of inspired you. Oh gosh, <laughs> so many. Uh, so uh, my growing up, um, there were not a lot of diverse authors, um, but I still loved all their books. Um, one of my favorite authors is Natalie Babbage. She wrote the book Tuck Everlasting. Oh yeah, um, yeah. She, I I love her book so much. Uh, my favorite book by her is a book called The Search for Delicious, which um, kind of inspired a little bit of my book, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. Um, I also really love the Anne of Green Gables books, which is written by L.M. Montgomery. Uh, those are my favorite books. I would reread those over and over again. Um, so those are a couple, uh, I like uh, Elizabeth Enright. So uh, those, those kind of like classic authors, I really, really loved. Uh, nowadays, there's just such a, such a feast of wonderful books out there uh, by so many different kinds of authors and so, so many different kinds of books from graphic novels to like novels and verse. Um, I would say some of my favorite authors now would be like Linda Sue Park, who uh, wrote A Long Walk to Water, as well as A Single Shard. Uh, there's um, uh, um, there's uh, 
my I, um, I was like, should I just name my good friends who I work with? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll just name all my good friends. Why not? <laughs> so um, there's Debbie Michiko Florence, who writes um, who writes the Jasmine Taguchi books. Uh, that's an early reader series. Uh, there's um, also my good friend, but also an amazing author, uh, Kate Milford, who writes the Green Glass House series. Um, another good friend of mine is Jonathan Oxier, who writes the Peter Nimble books. Uh, there's also Matali Perkins, who wrote this beautiful new book called Hope in the Valley. That just came out, and I hope people read that. That's so beautiful. It's a, These are all, the ones I'm naming right now are middle grade, um, except for Debbie, who writes early readers. Uh, I think I've just named mainly middle grade. Um, oh, uh, Akekla Magoon, she, she writes middle grade, too, she, um, and also uh, Renee Watson, um, and I'm trying to think. Shannon Hale. So I'm just like naming friends at this point. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but uh, my daughter loves Shannon Hale's books. Um, uh, she, she writes the Princess in Black series. So and uh, as well as the Real Friends graphic novel series. Your so. kids know how famous you are. <laughs> my daughter, um, my daughter has been a model for, she was the model for Little Star, and she's also the model for my most recent picture book, uh, Once Upon a Book. And she's actually in Chinese Many too, though she's not on the cover. She's the other girl, um, she's the other girl for some of the sections, uh, uh, like the appetizer sections and things like that. Uh, so she's been in the book, so she feels a real kind of, um, ownership of them yeah. <laughs> so so i don't think she considers uh, me famous if she does she considers us famous <laughs> ah oh, nothing wrong with that yes and nothing is wrong with that at all <laughs> i um when my son was young i i saw raffi in concert and i think at some point later in the concert raffi stopped and looked out of the audience and said to the parents he goes look he goes i know i give kids stuff but I also do other things too. And he played smoke on the water. <laughs> it was really <laughs> surreal. And I think like what he was saying is like people think of artists that or writers that or anybody who does works with kids, um, the genre of kids work. They think that's all they do. Do you ever, do you find people kind of constantly wanting to talk to you about this topic and you're like, you'd like to talk about something else. Do you, do you would you like other people to know that there's other aspects of you that not just kids uh, writing? <laughs> You know, um, actually, not really. I mean, I'm very, I think maybe earlier in my career, especially when I was um, as one of the few Asian American children's book authors and illustrators out there, um, uh, you know, this was you know 20 years ago. Uh, there's many, many more now. Uh, but at the time, there was very few. Um, and I think that I was uh, seen as one of the Asian American authors and I think that was kind of a I saw that as a burden back then right and I kind of yeah. felt like oh I don't want to be the one you know that has to do this and uh but you know slowly over time I've kind of seen that burden as a privilege you know um it's been a real gift it's kind of like what I was saying earlier about um realizing it's a real gift to be able to write for young people um, so I don't mind. Um, I don't mind if that's all they see me for. It's it's my honor, honestly. I wanted to ask you, um, what's next for you now that this book is out? 
Uh, well, uh, I'm doing extensive promotion for this book yeah. <laughs> because I really hope, uh, I really believe in this book. I really love this book. I actually believe that this might be the very best book that I've done so far. Um, so I'm really trying um, quite hard to have this book meet, reach as many readers as possible. Uh, but after that, um, I will probably make more books. I have a novel that I'm slowly and steadily um, plugging away at <laughs> that maybe will come out in 2025, we're hoping, um, and uh, a couple other books on the horizon that we haven't quite signed contracts for, so I shouldn't say anything else. <laughs> and I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Fair enough. Grace, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I want to mention to the listeners that Chinese Menu is going to be out this week. We're going to have links to uh, purchasing it online in the bio, and you can buy it at all better bookstores. Grace, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That was my conversation with award-winning children's author, Grace Lynn. Her new book, Children's Menu, is out now. We have links in the bio to purchase this book, and you can also buy it at all better bookstores. Next week, we'll be speaking with Chicago chef Paul Fairback, who is the author of the Big Jones Cookbook and the new book, Midwestern Food. Until next week, I'll see you at the library. <laughs>